This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Pete Roberts here in the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Um, I was just telling Pete off air that when I was first thinking about this project, uh, long before I was thinking about uh, turning this into a podcast, and I'm just just doing book research, I made a short list of all the people I wanted to talk to in the industry, in the jiu-jitsu industry, and Pete's name was, was right at the top of the list. So Pete, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Let me just give a little introduction on who you are. Pete is the uh, owner and founder of Origin. Uh, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu apparel, and it's grown into so much more to durable goods, um, supplements, energy drinks. You're uh, Jocko Willing's business partner on his Jocko energy drink. And from, from the time that I've been following you, I remember, uh, and I don't know exactly how long ago this was, but I remember at some point you building a factory and it was it was pretty small, and I, I can't even imagine how many times you've outgrown that that first facility. Yeah, well, that's what turned me absolutely, almost completely gray at a young age <laughs> was was building that factory. So uh, I think I think I my my superpower of ADHD and just being naive and not taking no for an answer probably got me through it. I wouldn't recommend cutting down a forest and sawing out some pine trees and building a, a timber frame factory. Um, but I, I guess I like to do things the hard way. <laughs> and of course, we're talking about your factory up in Maine. Are you originally from Maine? No, I'm a mass hole, man. <laughs> I'm originally, I'm originally from Massachusetts. Uh, you know, moved up here when I was a young kid, maybe eight years old. Uh, I'll never be a true Mainer, as my in-law says, my father-in-law says to me. You're still from Massachusetts. Don't you forget that. But uh, it is it is home. Maine is home. I've been here for a long time and uh, not planning on leaving anytime soon. Yeah. Where in Massachusetts? I was born in Gloucester. Uh, oh, sure. It, yeah, and uh, North Shore, North Shore kid. Mm -hmm. So the Ipswich area. And yeah. um, all my family's down there, big Greek family. So oh, they're okay. all business folk down in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's a, I, I, I love Greeks. Is uh, Greek heritage still part of your life? Is your is your wife Greek? Are you in the Greek community? She, uh, my papu said uh, before he passed that my wife was an honorary Greek right, because of her cooking. She can cook spenakopita. She can cook domadas. She can cook all sorts of all sorts of good Greek dishes. So she's honorary, but now she's very very okay. French. Yeah. Okay. Very, very cool. I bring up New England because, you know, your business is like, you've, you've done something that it, it, it could give me chills. I mean, you know, anybody who knows the history of New England knows that it was the, the center of commerce for almost for the whole world for 150 years. And the, the timber industry, the mill industry, if you drive along the roads of New England, you see these skeletons of, and you think like this was commerce, this was global industry, and then it just died. And then yeah. here you come along and you're like, you have the, the, the balls to think that you're going to start American industry all over again, and then you do it. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think that you could do that. I mean, what inspired you to, to say, I'm going to do that? You know, I think I... I just simply asked the question, like, why not? And I was naive enough to think I could have some sort of impact on it. W one thing I've always been really good at, and I think it's maybe because of my personality profile, is piecing together, like, the why. 
You know what I mean? Like number one, why did the industry leave? And was it what was it the corporate raiders? What is it? Was it lazy employees? You know, was it a mixture of both? Was it like what runaway capitalism? Uh, but asking that that why question, uh, and then piecing together the onset of kind of like this digital age, right? Where I, you know, we see more kids on phones and screen-based media. And I just felt like those, like this next generation, they've never, they've never seen Made in America. And our generation, how I kind of positioned it was, let me put it this way. When I was building our first factory, my, my papu passed away. And I was reminiscing a lot about him working in the tanneries at eight years old, pulling tacks out of hides by hand uh, at the tannery. And as I was building this factory and thinking about this, I was like, this is going to be missed. He, he, when he talked about his time working in the factories, he was really proud of it, even though it was hard work and he bled before he went to school between his fingers by pulling these tacks out. They had a tool to do it. He just, it was piecework. He figured he could pull more out, you know, put them in between the fingers and just rip them out. So uh, he was proud of this. And, and of course the factories, you know, have improved over the years. And I saw this kind of hole where the greatest generation, they're all, they're all passing away. You know, like the last of the greatest generation, that World War II generation, and our, grand, our, our, our grandparents fighting in that war, you know, in, in them, their stories are the only thing left behind. Then I saw this next generation, because I'm a Gen Xer, my kids will never know those stories like I did firsthand. And I felt like these communities that the greatest generation were part of in these mills, they were the melting pot where all these immigrants came in and they melted together to build these products. And I just saw, I just saw something within these, these, these three kind of intangibles. And it was more of like a, it was more of like a, something's going to be missing. And I think it's, it's that made in America. I think it's that thing you can pick up and touch and smell and say, hey, somebody made this in this in this town in Farmington, Maine. Somebody made this in Lowell, Massachusetts, you know. Somebody made this in Dallas, Texas. I can like like that's gonna be missing, not knowing who the makers are. This other movement with kind of keeping it local and green, which has been widely, you know, kind of spread when it comes to like food or like beef you know or like that type of thing that also i thought could be applied to this made in america like made in america just isn't good for our communities and and it's not just good for you know for kind of rebuilding our infrastructure in the u.s but it also is local so it it appeals to everybody you know it, it, there's really a, an opportunity here to capitalize on and i figured I coined this term reshoring capitalism. So I figured if, if runaway capitalism could take it away, why can't reshoring capitalism break it all, bring it all back? Sure. And then, you know, to make a long story longer, then I started thinking about the idea of using social media to tell that story. And I've been doing this for the back past decade. Like if I can create this, this transparent origin factory blockchain where you know from seed to shelf, dirt to shirt, field to finish, where your product's coming from, if you can share that story of building a factory and building a company and building a brand, you know, in this very transparent, let's call it factory blockchain, um, that's special. 
and you can you can build a relationship with a consumer uh not not just not just me as a business owner but i'm talking about the factory worker the craftsman the craftswomen who at the end of the day they they turn around and say i built that that thing goes to a customer and then all of a sudden the customer posts this thing on social media and they're like thank you well the person who built it can respond directly and say you're welcome and so they get that second level of fulfillment then then you just create this this kind of compounding connection to the customer that's super undeniable and never been done before at the level that I'm trying to do it. So, um, so that that's kind of like what I saw early on was this opportunity, and I knew building that first factory. And again, I didn't have two nickels to rub together a buck to piss in. So I saw this opportunity really with nothing except except an idea and got friends and family together to help me help me clear this little forest up and up in the woods and like i said we saw it we, we had all these timbers sawn out and we erected this like a barn raising we found some old l.l bean sewing machines you know that were from the 40s and got a generator going and started making stuff as a proof of concept and uh, and and you had to be able to make it profitable yeah, yeah wait, let me let me take... slow, let me slow you down there for a second. Yeah, I have to I have to unpack a couple of the things you said before sure. you move on. Yeah, I'll just keep going, man. You got to. Yeah, me. a few a few things to unpack there. First and foremost, I want to go back all the way to the beginning of what you were just talking about and talk about the great generation. Um, that just hit a big nerve with me because I lost my grandfather this past Sunday, ninety three years old, uh, World yeah. War Two. Thank you very much, World War Two veteran, entrepreneur like you, yep. like me, with nothing came out of World War Two. Lived in a tenement in an upper Upper West Side of New York with my grandmother. They lived in a single room, and the whole floor shared a bathroom. Now I'm telling this story a couple months ago, and he corrects me. He said we didn't share a bathroom; we shared two bathrooms. He was so proud of the fact that they had two. But um, that generation, there's just I just don't think there's ever going to be a generation like it. There's and, not, uh, and like the fact that you just told me that story with such conviction and passion means that it sets somewhere deep like in your soul right and and if 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 i if origin can make a connection to that past through a product that we we've built you know if we can if we can kind of intertwine those stories you know you have something you're buying something that that you believe in because your your grandfather my grandfather grandmothers you know uh, great uncles they were all part of of the greatest generation you know and in um i think just so much work ethic and grit and resolve came out of that generation like what yes. what they were able to do so you'll never be able to i'll never be able to tell it to my kids you'll never be able to tell it to your kids it's too detached like i can tell them the stories but they're never going to feel it but they can they can feel something different you know what i mean it, it's still they're all about saving you know saving the world and you know my daughter's about you know saving the dolphins and you know and and cutting down on fossil fuels and keeping it green and keeping it local you know and there's a there's a story to be told which these two things work work in synergy and if you can capture it package it uh, you've got something very different and very unique. And yeah. that's what I've been trying to do. Well, I am, a, I am optimistic on the next generation. And I feel like, you know, the next generation kind of never really cares about the one before them, right? They're like, yeah. you, you know, you think about it as this relates to music. 
you're never going to convince a teenager right now that Jimi Hendrix is more relevant to them than God, whoever it is, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that they like. But um, let me let me go back to also what you were just discussing, and you you started to touch on your social media presence and you and you documenting building your first factory, and and that's kind of where I got turned on to you, like at this point where you were starting this company and making geese and finding equipment from the seventies and barns up in new England and, uh, and spinning cotton in the United yeah. States for the first time again. I mean, I just yeah. don't think that can be understated, uh, as my people would say, the chutzpah to, that you had to go, <laughs> to go and, and go and say, I'm going to revive a whole industry. And, uh, yeah. here we are, I guess, close to 10 years later. And not only have you done that, but you're, you've been expanding all over the East Coast and, yeah. uh, and, and growing factories and building more factories and the company's growing. H how big is your company now in terms of um, people? Yeah, we, we are, and my, and my people would call it the Philotimo too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're 210 people now, spread over five locations, about 200,000 square feet in two states. Uh, so we, yeah, we acquired another plant in North Carolina and, mm -hmm. you know, I think within the next few years, it'll be a thousand people in four states, you yeah. know, and, and as we, as we buy up, you know, not from a corporate raider perspective, but from a, a reshoring capitalism perspective, as we buy up these mills and factories, we're going to create and protect what we're building, yeah. not sell it away. You know, sure. for for greed, for the almighty dollar. So yeah. Um, well, you've been uh, and so you've been doing that and and documenting it, and you have like a your own TV show. I mean, you, I don't. Do you have ever thought about it like that? Like, how um, intentional is it? Are you authentically documenting your life, or are you like thinking about the fact that you like you have created a very compelling content series? And yeah, people are brought we, in. Yeah, we, um, you know, I, I document, I, I always knew the power of like social media and, and YouTube and, you know, how to leverage that. And I also, you know, understand the power of like really authentic stories, like unscripted, really authentic and transparent, you know, storytelling. And I'm a storyteller at heart. So I just thought like if, I could just do what I do and bring people into my world. I think it's, I have fun doing it. You know, if it's a smile on my face, it gets me up early in the morning. Like other people, I think they'll appreciate it too. So it was never like, we don't like script anything, but like, I know that in 10 years, they're going to be teaching the origin story in colleges and universities. You know, I, I see, I see business, you know, professors like, like referring to videos on YouTube, like, look at, they were going to make a pair of boots. Here's how they started. They're going to start this from scratch. They have no machinery. They have two people. They have a sketch on a piece of paper and you're going to be able to watch this whole thing come to life into a, you know, a, a, a massive, a massive business and filling a factory. And you're going to be able to learn about the mistakes along the way, because I talk about those things. Um, and so that's very, like I do that purposefully, you know what I mean? Because I think what we're doing now is more powerful in a decade. I don't think it's, I don't even think it's close to powerful now. I think it's more powerful when 90 million people know. 
mm-hmm. you know, not when two, five million people know. Yeah. So, um, you know, in conjunction with that, we've been working on a documentary over the past three years we lost last year that we're talking with Amazon and, and right now, hopefully net, it'll go on Netflix. But once that goes on air, it's kind of, it's like, it's just like the, the thing that is going to propel us into the hearts and minds of not only 300 million Americans, but, but folks around the world, because a lot of folks have been affected by the same things we have in America. So yeah, um, there's a lot of parallels, but I can't share too much more than that, but it's intentional. Okay. It's well, now intentional. I'm, now I'm going off script a little bit from some of the things I wanted to get at, but uh, you know, your business partner, Jocko Willink is, you know, one of my heroes yeah. is a lot of guys hero and we're all just waiting for the moment that he's going to step up and lead this country and become our next president. Yeah. God willing. Like I yeah. swear, I, I swear to God, I dream about that. I hope that doesn't make me a weirdo, but I, I really do. <laughs> and now I'm understanding who his commerce secretary is going to be. <laughs> you need to come, you need to step up and be in his cabinet. And yeah, uh, not, I say that with all sincerity. I, you probably don't feel the call, but anyway, that's off script. Um, I, I really am interested uh, in what you were just describing and my book, is that's that's what I want to document. I, I I really do connect with how you've marketed, built, and 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 most importantly, you've gotten us so bought in on following you in the story. And as it connects to the the the, the story that I'm writing in this book on business jujitsu, I mean that you're in the business of jujitsu and you're in business. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think jujitsu without jujitsu, I would I wouldn't have been able to achieve you know, I guess what I have been able to with, you know, and it's not me, it's the team, but I mean, casting that wider vision and using jujitsu to think around and work around that vision versus like not having jujitsu, like jujitsu is like, it's just an incredible thing to have in your life because it literally changes the way you think, you know what I mean? It like, it changes the way you think. And I basically have taken jujitsu and applied it to business. As far as manufacturing, I didn't even know what lean manufacturing was when we started. I knew jujitsu and I said, okay, how can we be more efficient, you know, and how can we cut down the time in the line? I didn't even know what lean was. So I just decided to apply jujitsu to manufacturing. Come to find out there's this thing called lean manufacturing, which <laughs> is basically jujitsu for manufacturing. So, yeah. um, you know, I thought a lot about that and used, used jujitsu in all aspects of business leadership, um, leading teams, getting the best out of teams, motivating teams, um, all that stuff. So it's what's your jujitsu origin story. Where did you, where did you start jujitsu? How did you find it? Yeah. I mean, I started, I started here in Farmington with a local like purple belt. And then I started training. I think I was a blue belt. Uh, there was a guy who was from Brazil named Alexei Cruz, and he was De La Riva's first black belt. Mm-hmm. So he had he had moved to Maine for a random reason. Um, his name's Alexei Cruz, and um, and I, I I went and started training under under him, and um, also another guy did Deco, Andre Almeida, and they were both they were both Carlson uh, Carlson guys. So they 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 learned from Laborio, Ricardo Laborio and Ricardo De La Riva at, at Carlson's Academy in, in 
in Brazil. And there were some other folks in Maine that were training, another friend, Aaron Blake. And, um, there was a few other guys in the area that were training jiu-jitsu, but I was super into competition. So mm-hmm. I kind of sought, I sought out like these really high level guys who were building like competition teams. And um, I used to travel, like I drive five hours, train for an hour, drive five hours home and then drive six hours, train for an hour, drive six hours home. Cause in Maine we had like less than five black belts, maybe three black belts, yeah. you know, and, and no one really competing at a, at a super high level. But um, where were you, know, you driving origin, to the Boston area? Yeah, I drive to Boston and then I drive to Connecticut to trade with a guy named Formiga, Rafael Barbosa. Um, and we'd get like teams, like different uh, folks together from around New England and we'd all kind of descend and train and kick the snot out of each other and then drive home. So I competed <laughs> right up until 2012. Um, you know, so it was fun, man. Competition was fun, but I, I knew that. I knew that in order to build origin, I'd have to give it up because I couldn't really serve two masters because they both take the same amount of time. Being a high level competitor takes as much time as building a business. So it's all you, yeah. your brain can really have the capacity to think about, you yeah. know? So, um, so that's my, my origin is through, um, you know, Carlson, Carlson, you know, the Borio de la Hiva. Who ended up giving you your black belt? Uh, the Deco and Alexei. Um, get together, gave me my black belt. And that was, uh, almost 10 years ago now. Wow. So, yeah. You know, through my journey with jujitsu every night when we would finish training and my sensei, Nardu Debra, who's a a black belt under uh, John Danahar and Henzo Gracie, he would give a mat chat. He would talk to us. He would lecture us about the principles of martial arts, Budo, problem solving, competition, and very I'm never, I was never going to be a high-level competitor of any kind. But when he would talk to me about those principles, I would say, it's almost as if he's talking to me about my business. It's like, that's the problem that I was facing yeah. today in business. And uh, so many different aspects and so many metaphorical comparisons, whether it was dealing with pressure or, like you said, problem solving, problem solving under pressure. I, I started yeah. to draw these parallels and jujitsu can't for me started to become this tremendous outlet for just all types of problem solving and feeling like I couldn't get out of any problem, no matter how much pressure is on me. And that was, and then, so all these guys in the, in the dojo, they would come up to me and they'd ask me questions about business. They would want to start a little t-shirt business. They would want to buy and flip a home. They'd want to do some kind of really buy a twoplex or a fourplex. And so they would come to me and ask me these business questions. And I would start to explain to them what they needed to do through the lens of, Jiu-jitsu. It's like, well, you know how to solve this problem in jujitsu. It's kind of the same thing. And, and that was, yeah. that was where, that was where this book, that was where this book came about. And, yeah. uh, and then I saw you on the internet on, on Instagram documenting your whole life of building these facilities and uncovering this thing. I was like, wow, this is just so amazing that he's reviving a whole industry. Now I do a whole lot of business up in Springfield, Massachusetts and Springfield, yep. Western Massachusetts city all these old, beautiful buildings. Yes. And at one time they were, they had, were grand built in a style that they just don't build in anymore. And we've had to bring those yeah. buildings back to life. And uh, so while That's you were doing crazy. that, I, I just, you, you were a big influence for me of like, we can do this. Like we can actually, we can do it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You, you can't, you can do it. I mean, you know, 
it's a war of attrition for sure. But uh, but it is it is possible. And those in Massachusetts, kind of like the original melting pot, you know, Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I think it was the Lowell Mill. My my great grandmother, my great great yayo, when she immigrated from Greece, she was uh, she worked at the Lowell spinning mills. Uh, she was like a Lowell Mill girl. Kind of a there's kind of a story behind that. Um, but I think that was George Washington after we after we separated and we we stole the knowledge um I know there's a cool little story so um there's this guy Samuel Slater who because there was an industrial revolution uh in Europe at first before we had it in the U.S. and and they weren't allowed to to, to give the Americans the knowledge so we were shipping all of our raws over to over to Europe and, and England and all the cotton and everything and then somebody came over they had memorized um they had memorized a spinning machine that they invented over there they brought the knowledge over his name is samuel slater and and of course he's he's like an american hero but they call him slater the traitor over there mm. because he was a traitor he took the knowledge and he gave it to the americans um and and they took that one thing that he stole uh, textile espionage and um and then we started to use that to to build on and, and that really started kind of the the industrial revolution let's say mm. and this mill in lowell mass was like the first big mill in washington came and visited it um kind of like it was it was kind of key to it was key to the future of america this lowell mill in lowell massachusetts you know yeah um and then we started replicating those factories kind of um replicating them finding the powerful rivers using river power i say in lewiston maine where we pulled our loom out of that was like one of the first mills in Maine, the Bates Mill. There's, and I, I tell people, there's enough granite in the canal system they built just to move the water around. There's enough granite to build another Great Pyramid of Egypt, and they did that shit with you know horses and donkeys and you know Crazy. levers and pulleys. You know, so like it may not be a pyramid, but dang, that canal system is is freaking ridiculous. So yeah, they uh, those those they those folks. Like when I just think about that, I reflect on that. I'm like yippity skippity. We we saw we sought out some timbers and built a factory. It's like it's not that big of a deal. I get it because it hasn't been done for so long. But the shit that those folks did with nothing, you know, like like with nothing, you know, pulleys and levers and horses and donkeys. Yeah. Like we've got the internet, we've got, you know, power tools and chainsaws and all sorts of cool shit to use. So, yeah. um, so pretty much no factor on my end. I like that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, what's hard is even though you make it, make little of it because we have uh, so much more China and, and in the case of our industry and in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and fight sports, Pakistan, they've built such a deep moat around the industry, around the yeah. equipment. The, the skills, the knowledge base, the the raw materials. It's hard to source if you even if you want to do what you did. That's one of the things that that's so inspiring to me about you deciding to restart, re-kickstart this industry. It's like even if you want, like I make clothes, but almost everything I do exclusively is in China or done in Los Angeles. And there's so few things you can get done at scale here. You yeah. know, like because even if you want raw materials, the raw materials are are over are over in, in China, and yeah. the, like I said, the skill and the knowledge. Uh, when you were talking about Slater the Trader, 
I was thinking like at the time that was like somebody stealing an iPhone patent. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, right? That was, that was the, that was the newest high tech industry back then. That was like right when the world was about to change for the industrial revolution and yeah. all of these factories, Th those the people who aren't from new England or haven't driven through new England are not going to be able to appreciate what it's like to drive along, you know, the Connecticut river and just see like these yeah. old factories that are, that are dilapidated in some cases. Now they're actually bringing them back as like loft apartments in many, many yeah. places, but, uh, just, just so cool. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on with you is, uh, your immersion camps. Yeah. This, uh, just another way of bringing people into the brand. And where did that come about? Did you, was that something you had been doing? Yeah, so we, as as another way of of showing people what we were doing up in Maine, we decided to have this jujitsu immersion camp. And a lot of folks don't realize, like those immersion camps actually built Origin. Like the the money from those camps, like those first few camps, we like dumped back in. I I paid like five thousand dollars cash for like the concrete, you know, and and $3,000 cash for the inverter machine. So we like negotiated all these cash deals. Um, and the, actually the immersion camp funded all of that. But the idea for the immersion camp was to get more people kind of more, more embedded in our culture, like the origin culture. And the culture was really the people who, who were involved. You know, like my, my jujitsu family, like my instructor Tadeko, He's also my business partner. He was my first business partner. He's the first one that said, I believe in what you're doing. You know, here's $10,000 to, you know, to help make it happen. So I wanted people to feel that jujitsu, you know, kind of family type atmosphere and understand that origin had a special culture about it. And if you could come to the camp, you could experience that culture. And, and while you're there, we're going to bring you inside the factory and we're going to, we're going to, and, and I guess I would say, I'm going to cast this wide vision. And if I cast a wide vision in front of all these people, I bet I better find a way to make it happen. Or I'm, I'm going to look, you know, I'm going to look like a douchebag. So I, you know, I kind of would put myself out on a limb saying, here's what we're working on. Here's how we're going to change the game, you know, and this is why, you know, and, and, and it, and it wasn't always perfect. But because we had brought people into our inner sanctum and shared with them the vision and shared with them the struggles, they were fully bought in. Like some of our first customers are still our best customers. You know, millions, mil at this point, millions of customers later. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was always part of the plan to, to get people to Maine. They can experience Maine, experience origin, experience the factory, listen to the machines, walk through the factory, you know, see and smell and touch and interact with what it means to be made in America. Um, I remember um, a guy, they call him the Spaniard. He fought in the UFC. He, he, he registered for one of the camps and he's a friend of mine now. And he walked in the factory the first time and he was like, I didn't think I was going to have this like feeling walking in here. You know, like if you've never been in a factory and you walk in and you see like, people just grinding and building shit from nothing it's a different it's a different experience and it kind of triggers something inside of you like whoa this is this is missing from my life because my 
life is so flat behind the screen. You know what I mean? Is everything's yeah. everything's two D, and all of a sudden you're in this three D world, and you know it's surround sound, and you know it's like whoa. So um, that that type of experience just reinforces what we're doing, and and creates that that stickiness for the customer. Undeniable, yeah. never ending stickiness. Yeah, it's uh, it's so beautiful, and it uh, it inspired me also. We we did this um, our little first little mini version of it. We call it Mix You. I had 140 mm-hmm. uh, young women this past summer doing an eight week leadership course, and again, I brought like nice. all my little jujitsu and your influence and different people into this. Um, you know, influencers and fashion designers and people to come speak and lecture to these 140 young people, and it was it was so rewarding, and they were so bought in, and you've, not every single one of them connected in the way that you hope but there's just those a dozen or so and yeah. it's a great it's a great recruiting tool also to be able to 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 pick up talent and, oh, I, yeah. and I, I wonder if that's something that you've been able to do is you've built your team and you went from yeah. zero to 200 something and get people bought in on the brand and maybe even in some cases move to maine yeah i mean 100 i just had in the past two weeks i had someone move from georgia and someone move from south carolina so uh, they both train jujitsu. You know, one is uh, one is newer to jujitsu. The other one's a purple belt. Been training for five or six years. So, yeah, um, we've got people moving to Maine all the time uh, that are that are just fully bought into what we're doing. And and honestly, it's not like like you think like oh, it's all about how much someone's going to make. It's the monetary side. It's not like people like fulfillment comes in in different ways. You know what I mean? And yeah. folks usually take a pay cut to move to Maine. You know, to work for Origin. We're a startup. Yeah, yeah, we're the 215th fastest growing private business in America, but we're still a startup. You know what I mean? Yeah. We still get up every morning like it's our first day and like we need to rip people's faces off because, you know, we're, we're, we've got, we've got goals and, um, and, and we want to, we want to make sure that we're capitalizing on every minute, you know, of every day and having the right team in place that's bought into that is very important that are working at that pace yeah yeah it's everything well uh i'm incredibly grateful for your time and for being yeah. a part of this book i i'm i'm really excited to include your story in it this the the american manufacturing story uh it's close to my heart being in the fashion business and sure it's just it's it's so impressive what you've done uh keep it up and thank you so much and please encourage your business partner to step up already and dig us out of this mess. We need him. And it sounds like we, it sounds like we might need you too. And, uh, I think we might need you too to step up because you have the the vision and the guts that so many people are lacking in this country right now. And I don't, I'm not taking this political. I promise I'm not taking it political, but I'm just telling you that what you've done is an inspiration and it should be appreciate. It should be, uh, it should be acknowledged. No, thank you, man. Definitely appreciate it. Thanks for helping me uh, spread spread the word and spread the story. So, yeah, it's great. It's my pleasure. Well-